It was um, the last book of the Old Testament in the, in the Hebrew canon. Um, it's the last book. And I know that we say first and second Chronicles, but we've split it. Originally, it's just Chronicles. There's Chronicles, just like there's Samuel and there's Kings and there's Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are each one book. There's Chronicles. Um, and so we're going to be um, looking at that book this morning. So let me, and then the next three weeks after this, I think, which means some of you are, some of you are showing up the day after Thanksgiving. So Black Friday, everyone else will be clamoring in tents and lines to get cheap televisions and you'll be outside this door to hear the next part of Chronicles, right? So um, if you're not here, those of, especially those of you who said you would be here, just know that that, that will just tick me off mildly because I will be here. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me pray. Father, we're thankful for this morning and just the chance to um, gather uh, that we, we, we just bless you and um, we recognize that you are God, that you are kind and good, that you have revealed yourself and your word and your purposes for us. Um, Father, we give thanks for that. We pray as we study the book of Chronicles that you will give us um, keen minds, um, that we will um, have clarity in our thought, and that your spirit will apply your word to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to the book of Chronicles, I want to just give you sort of some short, a, a short overview as far as the general facts with regard to Chronicles. One, um, Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible, as I said. Uh, there really isn't first and second Chronicles, there's Chronicles, last book of the Hebrew Bible. Um, two, the book was written somewhere between 515 BC and 390 BC. Say, well, that's a big spread. The reason we say somewhere between that is there are certain, there are certain data points that give us indications that the very latest it could have been written is 390 BC. And then there are certain data points that tell us the very earliest it could have been written is 515 BC. So what we're saying is we really don't know when exactly it was written, but somewhere most likely in the 400s BC. Um, all right, Chronicles is the story of the kingdom and temple. So I wanna start here because you're gonna hear the story of the kingdom the, uh, largely focused on the Davidic kingdom and the kingdom of David's son. And you're going to see that as you read. You're going to have, um, really, when you go through Chronicles, interestingly, basically David without Bathsheba, Solomon without as many foreign wives. You're, you're really not going to have an emphasis in Chronicles um, on their falls in the way that you do in Samuel and Kings you're gonna be focused in on their kingdom, on the kingdom of Israel. And then you're also gonna be focused in on the temple, right? The rebuilding of the temple um, as we were with Ezra and Nehemiah. So my question is, um, why? Why the focus on the kingdom of the temple? How does this, I, you should know this from Ezra and Nehemiah, but how does this tie us to the whole Old Testament story? It's not a trick, not a trick question. Because those two things primarily signify the thrust of the entire Bible, which is God's people worshiping in God's place rightly. Good. So 
they, they signify the thrust of the whole Bible. Here's God's people, the temple having to do with dwelling with God, right? And in his kingdom, in his place, right? So you're dwelling with God in his place under his rule and blessing. We've been saying that the whole time, ripped that off from Vaughn Roberts, you guys know that, and, and Graham Goldsworthy, but God's people dwelling with God in his place under his rule and blessing is a simple way to say it. And when you have a kingdom and you have a temple, you have a king and you have a priest. And so you're looking for, if you will, this priest king who can cause us to dwell with God, right? And live righteously under his rule. The one priest king prior to this in God's place or God's temple and God's kingdom, if we go to the very beginning of the story, is Adam, right, who fails. And so we're constantly looking for this, being brought back in. Israel is a kind of, so I'm going to say this, Noah, if you've been with us in Genesis on, on Sunday mornings, Noah is a type of um, second Adam. He's not the second Adam, coming into a type of the new creation, not the new creation, we know that, but um, so Israel is a type of second Adam, um, leading us into a type of the new creation. You'll say, how so? Israel is called God's son, as is Adam, if you guys remember this. Out of Egypt I've called my son. And Israel is tested in the wilderness with regard to the temptation to sin. Remember, Adam was as well, right? And Israel's supposed to take us into the land. Israel as a nation supposed to go into the land that is flowing with milk and honey and supposed to wipe out all of our enemies and supposed to have shalom or, or kind of a total peace and well-being in the land. Um, and through Israel, all the nations of the earth are supposed to be blessed, right? And so you see Israel is a kind of a type of a second Adam um, leading us into a second uh, or, a, or a, a type of a new creation. None of these efforts succeed. There is our seats up here, Curtis. You can sit right in the front if you want. <laughs> I know. All right, so, um, so it ties all the time. You guys have to keep these themes in your mind. You have to keep these themes in your mind. You cannot let them go, right? Now what we're going to focus on is the genealogy of Chronicles is focused upon the Davidic dynasty and the priesthood. Now, how does this tie us to the Old Testament story is what we've just been talking about. The Davidic dynasty is, here, here is the king, right? The king who is going to, who's going to deliver for us um, a, a kingdom. This kingdom of peace and righteousness that we've all wanted to live in um, this kingdom where God dwells, and here is the priest who can lead us into God's presence, right? That is the great blessing of the whole of the Bible. I, I want to come back to this because we've picked up that theme before. There's a particular phrase used in all the covenants that tells us that's the great blessing of the whole of the Bible. What, what phrase is that? This union and communion with God is a great blessing of really the whole Christian life, of everything that it is to be a man. What, what phrase is that in all the covenants? Do you remember? I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I will be your God and you'll be my people. We hear that and we just kind of kind of run over it sort of haphazardly and really quickly. 
You don't think about what that means. You're going to see the same thing this Sunday in Genesis 9 when, when Noah curses Canaan and blesses Shem. He says, blessed be the God of Shem. So that's the blessing to Shem. Did you hear what the blessing to Shem is? Blessed be the God of Shem. Whoa. How is that a blessing to Shem? Right? Because God is uh, Shem's God. And Shem belongs to him. In other words, that is the blessing. If, you could say, if I can say, blessed be the God of John, what would you say? God, that God belongs to him and he belongs to God. That, that is the blessing. That's the whole of the Christian life. You understand that. Sometimes we lose sight of that. You're not saved just so that you would be forgiven your sins. Forgiveness of sins is necessary, right? That's necessary. That's good. Um, that's a, that's a just, just a, I, I mean, it's kind of a, um, it's, it's hard to even quantify what a blessing that is to be forgiven your sins. But you're saved not just to be forgiven your sins, but that you might dwell with God. So when in the fullness of time, right, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. And what does he go on to tell you after that? You guys remember? The Spirit comes and does what? You guys know this? Do you know this? Yeah, the Spirit comes and we're adopted as sons. You guys remember that? The Spirit by which we cry what? Abba, Father. Okay. I just want you to stop and consider that. Christ has come to redeem you that you might be adopted. And what's the first thing an adopted child of God, spirit and dwelled adopted child of God is doing in that passage? Crying out, Abba, Father, which is, which is this kind of cry of intimacy. He's mine, I'm his. Right? That's, Christ has come to, and the spirit has been sent to, give you communion with God. That is, that is the Christian life. That's what it is. When you're baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, you're, you're baptized into the name. You're united to the triune God and you commune with him. The whole of life is essentially God pouring out his love and kindness upon you, drawing near to you, and you returning that love, if you will, to him, which you don't really have to work to do, right? You don't really have to work to put any effort in to do. It's actually as you know the love of God, the Father to you, as you know the purchased grace, this is John Owen, of the Son for you, as you know the fellowship of the Spirit, um, you, just, you just return all of that. It just comes out of you. Right? You guys understand this. When someone loves you well, what do you want to do? Right? Um, so... This is the whole of the Christian life. So it's not incidental to this story. You can't lose sight of that. It's all about communing with the Lord. That's why the life of the believer is a, a life of prayer, right? It's not just, prayer is not incidental to the Christian life. It is um, communion with the Lord, right? So we're, we're, we're communing with him. Um, all right, and that's how the mature Christian is marked, isn't, aren't they? They're just marked by prayer. They're in the word, 
meditating upon God's word and praying, just how they're marked. So um, Owen actually talks about that. You will never know the difference between, you'll often not know the difference between yourself and hypocrites in the church. It's, he makes this great point. The hypocrites in your church, can, you can walk hand in hand with them and externally they look no different than you. Sometimes you can't even outdo them in external righteousness. And you have, but what you do not know is that what's going on at home internally in their own hearts. Are they, con, are they conversing with and meditating upon communing with the world and its offerings? Or are they, are they communing with the Lord, right? All you see is the external. Um, God understands who the hypocrites are and what's the distinction between them. Um, the, the real believers communing with the Lord. Not, not with the world, right? Um, so we understand that, but you'll never see it externally. You just don't know it. Um, that's the Christian life, communion with God. That's the whole thing, right? Um, all right, so that's what the story's driving at. I wanna be with him. We wanna know him. Chronicles ends with Israel under captivity to Babylon. When you're in captivity in Babylon, you're far from him. You're not in his kingdom. You're not dwelling with him. You're dwelling in the world, right? Far from God's place. Um, so let me ask you this. Chronicles, I said, just said, ends. If you look at the very end of 2 Chronicles, it ends with Israel under captivity to Babylon. Why is that an ominous ending to the Old Testament story? In other words, you're a Jew. You're reading your Bible, okay? We have to remember the Messiah is first the Messiah of the Jews, okay? The people who have heard these promises in an unbroken succession from Adam. By the way, it, it, sometimes we don't know that these promises are in an unbroken succession from Adam because we don't spend enough time on those genealogies in Genesis. But if you do, you'll find out that Adam um, knew Noah, and you'll find out that Noah knew Abraham, right? Noah lives until Abraham's in his at least 30s and maybe his early 50s. Ab Noah saw the fall of the Tower of Babel, the whole thing. So there's this unbroken succession of the passing on of the truth. Doesn't mean they're all abiding by it. <laughs> but so for if you will, 4,000 years, God's people are passing on these stories, reading these stories. They've been kicked out of the garden, no longer God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing. They've been promised they'll be returned there. And then Chronicles ends with them in captivity in Babylon. So you're reading your Old Testament as a Jew you're reading it, Genesis through Chronicles, and you get to the end and it's like, that's it? The story's over? And we are in captivity to Babylon. What's your problem at that point? Yeah, will he and can he keep his promises? Thus far, we're far from a Davidic king who's gonna deliver the kingdom of God and we're far from these Abrahamic blessings. 
right? That we're going to dwell with him in the temple where we, we, we know his presence. We're far from all that. We're out here in Babylon, under captivity, being punished for our sin, right? That's the end of your Old Testament. I want you to think about that. Now, for 400 years, roughly 400 years, as the people of God, that's the end of the story of your Bible, right? That's, there are promises in Daniel, right, etc. that it's gonna turn out okay. But for 400 years, you're not seeing that. You just, you just read your book and the end of the story, the end of their story is not Revelation where Jesus comes and gives, you know, and r- brings the new heavens, the new earth, and, and all things are good, and there's no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin. That's not the end of their story, no more enemies. The end of their story is you're in captivity to Babylon. Close of the Bible, right? That's a pretty ominous ending. It's a pretty ominous ending. So I don't want you to lose sight of that as we're going through this book and why it's placed at the end of the canon, because that plays into why it's placed at the end of the Old Testament canon. Um, and, and when we come to the New Testament biblical theology, I want you to remember that that little page between the Old Testament and New Testament is something we've invented. In other words, Matthew is just the next book of the canon. It isn't like, oh, well, there's this people of God with this God and this set of promises and this kind of, and now, and this, you know, and now there's this people of God with these kinds of promises, and these are just two separate worlds. Matthew, you're going to see this today, is just picking up where, where we've left off. So I'll, I'll show you that in a minute. But let's, let's look at an outline of Chronicles. Um, the identity, privileges, and responsibilities of God's people are really being outlined in 1 Chronicles 1, 1 through 9.34. So we'll go through that, that section of Chronicles today, which is the, um, you'll see the identity of them as you have the genealogies, right? You're also gonna see privileges they have there, though they're not as express as the identity. They're, they're kind of inlaid in various ways. And you're also, sorry, you're also gonna see um, responsibilities, that are laid out there um, for the people of God. You're, you're gonna pick those up. They're just little tidbits. You probably, if you, it, did everybody read First Chronicles one through nine? So if you're reading it, you probably saw some of these things. You may not have paid attention to it as you're reading this really extended genealogy. Now I wanna, I wanna point out something because this is the part that you're getting a, a preview of one of the Christmas sermons, right? Um, I'll give you a little bit of a preview of one of the Christmas sermons coming in December. How does Genesis um, really begin after you get after you get the what we might call the prologue, the creation account? Then you come to this thing. If you guys remember, in the folks in Sovereign Grace, the Toledotes, the this is the generation of. Right? And then Genesis is arranged, if you guys remember, way back in early, deeper, way back, Genesis is arranged around genealogies. Genealogy, story. Genealogy, story. Genealogy, story. But there's a compact number of genealogies from Genesis 1 through 11. The first 11 chapters is like genealogy, 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 covering 
over 2,000 years of history in 11 chapters, all of which is driving you to one man. Who is that? Abraham. It's all driving you to him. All of it. So, you know, Adam has three sons. Two are righteous. One is wicked. You guys remember that? Okay. And then Noah has three sons. Two are righteous. One is wicked. And then Terah, Abraham's father, has three sons. And it's 10 generations from Adam to Noah and then from Noah um, to uh, Terah, right, et cetera. You're, so you're seeing 10 and 10 and 10. You get, it's intentionally laid out that way because the whole narrative via the genealogies is driving you to one man, Abraham. One man. It's curse five times. Curse, Genesis 3. Curse, curse, all the way through Genesis 11. And then you get to Genesis 12 and God calls Abraham, blessing, 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 five times. And you're hearing the beginning of the reversal of everything that's gone wrong from Genesis 3 through 11, through this man and his offspring. And so you're waiting now because the whole rest of the story is consumed with Abraham, isn't it? The whole Old Testament story is the story of Abraham. You say, well, what about Moses? Yeah, he is the predominant prophet and figure leading the primary, if you will, exodus event or redemptive event in the Old Testament. But Abraham understands that he is, if you will, a footnote upon Abraham because where does he go whenever he's saying to the Lord, keep your promises? Who does he go to? Abraham. Keep your promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You keep hearing that over and over. That is the story. And then from Moses, in Moses, we're promised a Davidic king. You guys remember that? Deuteronomy 17. Not, we're promised a prophet who's greater than Moses who will come. Deuteronomy 18, 15, which by the way, we're told is Jesus in Acts 3. And we're also promised a Davidic king um, in Deuteronomy 17. And so, or a king, we will learn, is the Davidic king, right? And so then in 2 Samuel 7, you're told, all right, so Abraham's offspring you're waiting for, 2 Samuel 7, the offspring who will establish the kingdom of God is David's offspring. So now you're waiting for two offsprings, or if you will, one offspring was two fathers. Who are they? Abraham and David. Now, I want you to stop and consider. The first book of the Old Testament, all these genealogies driving you to Abraham and his offspring, the last book of the Old Testament, nine chapters of genealogies driving you to David and his offspring. When you pick up chapter 10 and following, it is the story of David and his offspring. That's the story. David is the central figure in the genealogies. That the tribe of Judah leading to David is the focus of the genealogies. So the first book of the Old Testament First book of the Old Testament of the story, all these genealogies driving you to one man, Abraham and his offspring. The last book of the Old Testament, all these genealogies driving you to one man, David and his offspring, right? And then it goes dark. They're in captivity. Who are you waiting for? Abraham and his offspring, David and his offspring. And that's why I say, 
you got to tear the page out between these two testaments because the first line of the New Testament is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. See, here it all is. It's, it's, this is the one we've been waiting for, right? Um, and the whole Testament's bracketed with that. The son of Abraham and the son of David, that's who we're waiting for. And Matthew gets it, so he opens with a genealogy of the son of David and the son of Abraham for whom we've been waiting, right? Um, okay, so don't lose that. When you see this genealogy, you go, oh my gosh, this is dull. But, but you're, you're missing, if you don't understand the importance, you're missing how the whole Old Testament has been bracketed and what it's driving you to. This one we've been waiting for. So um, the second section of Chronicles is the ideal united kingdom. So from 1 Chronicles 9.35 to 2 Chronicles 9.31 is this kind of ideal united kingdom. Now, that's your next reading assignment. So if you're coming next Friday, you're reading 1 Chronicles 9.35 all the way through 2 Chronicles 9.31. So you read that section, the ideal United Kingdom. And then in 2 Chronicles 10.1 through 28 is Judah during the divided kingdom. We're gonna focus particularly on Judah during the divided kingdom because Chronicles does. And Chronicles does because Judah is the tribe from whom the Messiah is to come, right? The son of David, the son of Abraham. And then 2 Chronicles 29.1 through 36.23, the reunited kingdom, the reunited kingdom, right? Now, um, that is part of what we need, by the way, is a reunited kingdom. And you're going to see that. You're going to see that. Um, I'll show you guys some of these threads Sunday um, with the three sons of Noah and the curse fascinating because you say well I understand what happens with Ham when he's cursed and his family Canaan right which when you go look at the genealogy in Genesis 10 is Egypt put Cush Canaan Nineveh you guys know what happens with those folks right and I understand what happens with Shem which is Abraham's family and Lot and all these guys right so I get what happens with them what what happens with Japheth because they're blessed too Japheth's line is blessed too. Whatever happens with them? Uh, where are their promises? Some of y'all did Isaiah, so you should know the answer to this. Um, but you know, I'll point that out on Sunday. You're gonna see these threads pulled through all the way through, and you're gonna see it here. Even in Shem's family, there's a split, or in Abraham's family, there's a split between the northern and southern kingdom. And they, that has to be reunited at some point, right? Because there's a promise um, to this family. And so there's a, a, in Isaiah, talk about, and Jeremiah Ezekiel, talk about the reuniting of the northern and southern kingdoms. So that when, when uh, you hear this word from Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come upon you with power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, that's Judah, and Samaria, that's the northern kingdom of Israel. That's a reuniting of the monarchy, dynasty, the nation, if you will, right? It's getting at. And then what? The ends of the earth, that's the Gentiles. Um, so we, we have to understand uh, 
um, that that's not just left on the table. So the United Kingdom is, is a sign of what it is supposed to be. The divided kingdom is a real problem, right? Um, okay, so look with me then. Let's look at this outline in First Chronicles 1. And because there's um, not tons and tons of material to deal with in First Corinthians 1 through 9 in the sense of, of lots of things other than genealogies that we, I've had 30 minutes to sort of set this up. And so we'll just kind of run through here fairly quickly. But notice how Chronicles begins. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Anybody know what chapter of Genesis this is summing up? Chapter five. This is the genealogy in chapter five of Genesis, right? Um, it's the story of Adam. If you remember the genealogies, it's the story of the genealogy, the story of or history of Adam as told through Seth's line. Notice Cain's line is not here. This Lemek here is not the Lemek of Cain. This is the Lemek of Seth, right? So you're getting that line, and then you pick up the sons of Japheth. And now, if you notice, the sons of Japheth, verse 5, verse 8, the sons of Ham, and then verse 17, the sons of Shem. Um, this is in the order of which chapter? What geneal genealogical chapter is this picking up? Because actually, by the way, which we'll get to not this Sunday, but next Sunday, actually, it's Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now, now the, the order is Japheth, Ham, Shem. Um, anybody know what chapter this is mirroring? Of Genesis. It's just picking up a, another genealogy in Genesis. Anybody know which one? Huh? Chapter 10. Yep, the genealogy in chapter 10. It's mirroring that genealogy. So notice how this book starts. Genesis 5, Genesis 10, right? Um, that's how it's starting. And uh, if, if you'll notice, by the way, just to give you a little hint at the answer, who are the sons of Japheth? Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephoth, Togarmah. You guys know who these people are? Do you, anybody know what countries they become? I'll, I'll give you a little hint. Um, and you might find out when Japheth is, is blessed, Japheth blessed by being able to enter the tents of Abraham. In other words, the dwelling of Shem, the, the, the church there that where God dwells and they dwell with God, the tent. These, these nations are the coastlands, Greece, Europe, Macedonia, etc. When does this entering the tents of Japheth entering the tents of Shem um, as a blessing take place? Nowhere in the Old Testament. You'll search in vain to find this in the Old Testament. Now, Canaan being a servant or a slave of slaves to, to Shem, you will find in the Old Testament, right? You will find this promise nowhere in the Old Testament. You're going to find it in the New Testament when they come to these people called the Gentiles, right? You're going to hear that in Isaiah, 
the gospel is going to go to the coastlands. It's going to go to Greece. It's going to go to these places, right? You're going to hear that. And then you're going to see it played out in particularly the book of Acts. They come to the Gentiles. And then when they get to Acts 15, they're like, what do we do with all these Gentiles? And remember the, the, the phrase? They, they go back and they say, well, actually, they can come in because this is the building of the tent of David. Just pointing you all the way back to coming into the tent of Shem, right? Um, this Gentiles coming in is the original promise. They belong in the tent too, right? And, and then you're going to hear things like Paul getting the call from the Macedonian man. You guys remember that? That call is an answer to this blessing given to Japheth all the way back in Genesis 9, right? Um, anyway, that's, that's the direction he goes. Now, what's fascinating about the blessing and curses, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 11 that even Egypt and Canaan will join Israel, right? Which is fascinating. So then you pick that up as well in the New Testament themes. But don't forget these things. This, they're, all they're trying to tell you is this whole book hangs together. It's just one book. One story of the one God saving his one people in his one son, right? Um, so why start with Adam? Because you gotta tie it all together, right? This is one story. Um, they're gonna drive all the way through. Um, that now they're going to come to the end. Look at verse 24 as they get to the end of the sons of Shem. Verse 24. Shem, Aparkshad, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Sarug, Nahor, Terah. This is getting you, by the way, at the end of Genesis 11 uh, in that section. Terah, Abram, that is Abraham. In other words, it's driving you from Adam to Abraham. And then you're getting this, the sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. You're going to hear about Ishmael, but your focus is going to be on Isaac. Look down at verse 34, Abraham fathered Isaac, the sons of Isaac, Esau and Israel. Not Esau and Jacob, interestingly enough, but Esau and Israel. And now you're going to get some of Esau's sons, but then there's going to be a focus on Israel. Look down at chapter two and verse one. These are the sons of Israel. So you get Esau's story all the way to the Edomites, Edom. Keep that in mind, by the way, with Ishmael and with, with um, um, Esau. Ishmael and with Esau. It's an error you make in understanding the story of the Old Testament, understanding the story of Abraham, if you say that everyone who's physically descended from Abraham and circumcised is in the nation of Israel that that is a national marker because Ishmael and his family, is a, he's an offspring of Abraham, circumcised, and he has a whole different nation, not part of Israel. Esau is an offspring of who? Isaac, thank you. He's an offspring of Isaac, and he has, and he's circumcised, and he has a whole different nation, a wicked nation. This story we've been telling ourselves that being an offspring of Abraham and circumcised in Abraham makes you a, is a national identity marker with Israel is contradicted in the first book of the Bible with the first 
Two sons. You have four sons, right, if you will. And among the first four sons, half of them are not part of Israel. And they're the firstborn in both cases. So we've we got to rethink how we tell the story. Maybe, maybe Paul's right when he says, a true Jew is not one who's merely one outwardly. I don't know, maybe the apostle gets it right. So, <laughs> is it possible? <laughs> All right, so look, um, why does it pivot with Abraham to Jacob? Because you're driving from Abraham, you know, to Jacob, um, or the sons of Israel, if you notice there, these are the sons of Israel, Reuben, chapter two, verse one, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Joseph, Benjamin, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. What are you getting a focus on here? The 12 tribes. You're picking them up. So you notice you're going Adam to Shem to Abraham to Jacob to the 12 tribes to Judah. Notice the first one mentioned, the sons of Judah. And then you start to get them. By the way, you don't, you don't forget um, certain details. Notice the, the, the violation of the obligations of Judah's tribe that are brought up right away. The sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, these three, Bashua, the Canaanite, bore to him. That's not good, right? And then you go on. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death. Also not good. His daughter-in-law, Tamar, also bore him, Perez and Zerah. Judah had five sons in all. You're, you're being taught lessons right away when I say about their privileges and responsibilities. Here's their privilege. They're in the line of, they're in the godly line of Seth. They're in Abraham's line. Their responsibility, be godly, right? Um, that, that's their responsibility. It's a privilege. Here's our identity and privilege. Here's responsibility, be godly. And they're not doing it, right? Um, then the sons of Perez, who are descended from who? Judah, that's not unimportant. Now look down. Hezron and Hamul, the sons of Zerah, Zimri, Ethan, Haman, Kalkol, and Dara, five in all, the sons of Carmi, Achan, the troubler of Israel. The troubler of Israel, remember Achan, who broke faith in the matter of the devoted thing. Um, if you guys remember Achan's sin, okay, this is an important phrase in Chronicles, who broke faith broke faith. Um, in other words, um, they demonstrated unbelief in disobedience. They demonstrated unbelief in disobedience. Um, they broke faith. The sons of Hezron. By the way, the sons of Hezron are also from Judah. Okay? Driving you down to the seventh son, verse 15, Ozem the sixth, and who? David, David the seventh. Okay, um, now, and you're going to get through from Caleb, the son of Hezron, fathered children, and you're going to keep going through this line. From Jacob all the way to David, look at chapter 3, verse 1. These are the sons of David who were born to him in Hebron. Right, and you're gonna continue on. Look at chapter two, three, verse 10. The son of Solomon, 
Okay, so you're going to get that story. Go down to chapter 4, verse 1. The sons of Judah. Now you're getting more on the sons of Judah again. Perez, Hezron, remember you got them before. What, what is clearly the focus in chapters 2 through 4? Anyone? Yeah, the tribe of Judah really focused in on bringing you to David. Right? Really focused in on bringing you to David. That is the main focus of this. Now you do pick up, as you go through, like I said, privileges and responsibilities, and you hear about their sins against those things. So for example, here's someone who walked in godliness from Judah's line. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 9. Uh, a, a figure in this line made quite famous 20 years ago. Right? Quite famous 20 years ago. What's his name? Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, and that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. And then God also gave him a best-selling book in early evangelicalism. Okay, so now, <laughs> the, what is... The prayer of Jabez, a lot of hay was made of this, sadly, turned into some kind of prosperity gospel. When Jabez prays, he's from the tribe of who? Judah. Judah. And he prays for God to do what? Increases borders. borders. What is Jabez believing? The The promises of God, specifically with regard to the land. Okay? Right? You, You cannot... Unless your prayer of Jabez, when you pray it is, Lord, bring back the Christ and deliver to us the new heavens and new earth, right? The whole earth that Abraham is the heir of. Unless that's your prayer, you can't really have a parallel prayer to this. God does not promise you a large piece of land, right? Um, And financial prosperity. This is where it's like, read these verses in their canonical context the jews are supposed to be praying all he's saying is give us what you promised right it's all he's saying i trust you for what you promised us and god grants it right he has not granted he has not promised any of us wealth and land in that sense well let me take that back he has promised us wealth and land but he has not promised us wealth and land in this dispensation. What I mean by this dispensation, in this particular era, when does wealth and land come? The new heavens and new earth. You're co-heirs with Christ of all things, right? Um, one of the heirs of prosperity gospel, right? Don't, they do not understand the distinction between what's ours in eternity and what's ours now. Right? The other error of the prosperity gospel is they think that the good news is the stuff you're going to get and not Jesus, who you're going to get. Right? That's, that's the more insidious error, actually, in my mind. The more insidious error is not God's going to give us stuff, but the good news is God's going to give us stuff. And it's like, oh, you're missing it altogether. You get him. So, all right. You can also say that it's appropriate for David to ask for 
That's correct. They haven't fully cleared out the land at this time. In fact, you're going to see that because in this same story, go down to verse 15, the sons of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Who's that? Correct. So remember, Joshua and Caleb are the ones who lead them into the land and start to clear out the false people in the land. So that's exactly right, Tim. This isn't, this isn't Jabez asking for this you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later. This is Jabez asking for this in the context of the book of Joshua, of that history. Um, okay. Um, now, we're going to continue on for the sake of time. Um, Look down at verse 40 of chapter 4. I just want to point this out again. They're, um, they're seeking pasture for their flocks. Here's some privilege. Where they found rich, good pasture, and the land was very broad, quiet, and peaceful. For the former inhabitants there belonged to Ham, right? And they destroy their place, and they defeat the remnant, verse 40. Three, they defeat the remnant of the Amalekites who had escaped. All right, so notice this is all picking up that story of them going into the land, defeating the Amalekites, the Canaanites, all these people from Ham, right? Um, do you see the benefit if you come on Sunday morning and to deeper? Like you, the Genesis 9 is going to come together here with Ham and the curse on Ham. So they're, they're, they're going to have this curse, uh, this coming upon them, and they're getting this rich bountiful broad land right we're still in that then you get to the the sons of Reuben or the descendants of Reuben chapter 5 um, and let me uh, just try to look there just briefly notice the first phrase the sons of Reuben the firstborn of Israel for he was the firstborn but because he defiled his father's couch his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph the sons of Israel so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. Um, though Judah became, became strong among his brothers and a chief came from him, yet the birthright belonged to Joseph, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. And so he's going to go through them and then through Gad. Now go to chapter 6. So in other words, all I'm doing is demonstrating, yes, sir. Oh, yep, that's exactly right. Half Jew, half Egyptians, that's exactly right. You're talking about Ephraim and Manasseh. And the, the, just the inclusion of the well, and it's not just the non-Jewish nations, it's the Hamites. I mean, that's the remarkable thing. Genesis 9, Ham's line is cursed. That's the curse of Canaan. It's a cursing of your whole genealogical line. That's his youngest son, right? It's just cursing the whole line is what he's doing. Ham's line is cursed. The end of Genesis, Ham's line is intermarried with Shem's line and two of the sons who have the birthright now, right, two of the sons who have the birthright now are half Egyptian. They're half Ham's line. That's just, yeah, there's, you just can't miss it if, unless you're just not paying attention to it, right? Um, the story was never, never just about ethnic Jews. It was never ultimately about ethnic Jews. This man is the man through whom he's going to save and bless all the families of the earth, 
right? It's the story about restoring what was lost. Um, all right, now just a couple phrases I want you to notice. End of First Chronicles, or just before the end of First Chronicles 5, you're going to see good actions. If you look there um, just before in verse 20, at the end of verse 20, for they cried out to God in battle and he granted their urgent plea because they trusted in him. So here they're, he's granting their plea for land. He's granting their pleas in battle. You guys see their privileges here. Um, and they're actually doing it. They're praying. That's one of their responsibilities to pray, to trust the Lord. And then if you go down, but then they're also sinning. Look at verse 25 of chapter five. But they, again, that phrase did what? broke faith with the God of their fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land. So again, they break faith. They become idolaters. They, that's the same way Achan broke faith. You remember that? When Achan takes the idols, he breaks faith. He's worshiping the wrong gods now, not God. He's not worshiping the God. Again, they're breaking faith with God and whoring after the gods of the peoples of the land. Um, brother, are you just itching to say something? Or you, no, okay. Um, First Chronicles 6, notice who you get an emphasis on. The sons of Levi. Why does that matter? The priests, look at verse 16. The sons of Levi. They serve as priests in the house of the Lord. Um, if you look at verse 31, these are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. Um, look at verse 49 of chapter 6. But Aaron and his sons were still, noticed with the priesthood, made offerings on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place, or the holy of holies. I, I wish that the ESV had kept holy of holies, just, but they didn't. And to make atonement for Israel according to all that Moses, the servant of God, had commanded. So now again, here's another um, instance in which Israel's being faithful. They're, they're, so in some instances, they're crying out to God. In some instances, they're, and they're crying out to him for the land that he's promised. They're crying out to him to, to deliver them in battle, as he's promised. Um, they're, they're keeping his law in worship. In other instances, they're breaking faith by chasing the idols of the nations. You guys noticing the contrast there? Okay. Um, but we've had a real focus on Judah and the Davidic line or the king, and now you have this real focus in the genealogy on the priestly line and the service in the temple. Okay. So one focus up till this point has been a focus on Judah and the Davidic king, the taking of land, the defeating of enemies, right? There's the kingdom. And this focus now, the Levites, the priests, the worship in the temple, right? Okay, so we'll continue on. The tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel and the Transjordan tribes, they are brought up, actually, the Transjordan tribes are talked about in chapter five, verses one through 26, um, which we sort of ran into a couple of things there. Um, you guys, who are the Transjordan tribes? Right, exactly. Okay, half tribe of Manasseh. Remember there, the Transjordan tribe. Okay, and then you get the northern tribes of the northern kingdom in First Chronicles seven. 
First Chronicles 7, the sons of Issachar. Verse 1, verse 6, the sons of Benjamin. Verse 13, the sons of Naphtali. Verse 14, the sons of Manasseh. Verse 20, the sons of Ephraim. Verse 30, the sons of Asher. Um, you guys seeing it? Here's your um, tribes, and then you're going to get it. Uh, you're going to pick up the genealogy of Saul in chapter 8. Now, why do you think after doing all this, you've got the southern tribes, the northern tribes, if you will, the Transjordan tribes, the kind of the crossover tribes. You've got the focus on the kingdom, and whenever God's people are crying out, they get their land and they win in battle. You've got the focus on their obedience of worship in the temple. So you've picked up the north, the south. You've picked up you know, the Transjordan tribes. You've picked up godliness and the way God delivers them and gives them the kingdom as they are and he dwells with them and they worship as they're godly. You've got them breaking faith and being defeated and wiped out, right? Chasing after idolatry. All these genealogies. You guys tracking? It's all staying on the same themes. Here's who these people are. Here's what their privileges are. Here's the responsibilities are. And then you come to chapter eight and you get a big genealogy of Saul. The focus, I said, is on Judah and David, but why now a genealogy of Saul? What's our author doing? Yeah, he's showing you um, the king who comes, the false king, if you will, who comes before David. Where they go wrong. Benjamin fathered Bella, his firstborn, and they're going to go on to that story. Now, look at chapter 9. Verse 1. And by the way, notice, look, just before chapter 9, verse 1, look at the very end. All these were Benjaminites. Now, um, th there should never have been a king in the tribe of Benjamin. Right? One, the king is not promised to the tribe of Benjamin. It's promised to the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. 8 through 10 makes that quite clear. Two, what's the last story about the Benjaminites in Judges just before you get to 1 Samuel and now Saul, a Benjaminite, is made king. What's the last thing you hear about them? Yeah, the horrible story about the prostitute. They basically, the Benjaminites are basically shown as being another Sodom, right? And then the king's coming from their line, right? Uh, you know, this is what happens and then the people are kind of in a, in, a, in a judgment because they're whoring after false gods. They get these kinds of wicked, wicked sodomite type kings, right? Um, so we may get one in 2024 with uh, Gavin. You never know. <laughs> the, um, that's the kind of, what's that? Well, he thinks he is of California, but... Um, I'm pretty confident he'll run in 2024. My, my prediction, that's my prediction. We'll see. I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, so I'm entirely ready to be wrong. But So all Israel was recorded in genealogies, and these are written in the book of the kings of Israel. And Judah was taken into exile in Babylon because of their what? Breach of faith. How did Judah breach faith? And the story of the kings? No, that's, that's how Israel broke faith before, when they, before, they, you, before David. But they break faith, Judah breaks faith after David. How so? Yeah. 
Solomon loved many foreign wives, foreign women, and he whores after their gods. And the people are more than happy to participate in that. And you'll read about that in the Kings, right? The last king of Judah who's a good king is Josiah, Josiah right? And, but it's just too late. It's too little too late. Um, all right, so you go on, verse 10 of chapter 9, of the priests, verse 14, of the Levites, verse 17, the gatekeepers. You guys are hearing um, the same themes you saw Really, look at chapter, verse 33. Now these, the singers, the heads of the father's houses of the Levites were in the chambers of the temple free from other service um, for they were on duty day and night. These were the heads of the father's houses of the Levites according to their generation's leaders. These lived in Jerusalem. And then you're gonna go on to the next story. Um, Saul's genealogy is gonna be repeated. Just before the death of Saul and his sons, you're gonna get the, a repeat of Saul's genealogy. Um, but notice here, you're, you're kind of left at the end of the genealogy with a focus on the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Levi, the sons of David and the sons of Aaron, right? You're looking for the priest king, right? Who can deliver the kingdom of God and the temple, the worship of God. You're looking for that. But at the end of the genealogy, you're then gonna get a repeat of Saul's genealogy, right? Uh, as if, don't, don't forget this, <laughs> and then you're going to go into David. Okay, so we'll pick up on this. Um, maybe I'll ask this question. What does the genealogy of Saul at the end, um, not, not just here, but then the repeat, what is that setting us up for? Huh? Yeah, it's, it's setting us up for um, the heir of Israel and the choosing of a king and then, and then the choosing of the righteous king, David. Right, by God. Um, and remember, the story about David is gonna be, it's almost like Hebrews 11. It's sort of gonna be the, the story of righteous David. It's, it's not gonna pick up um, like Samuel does, the mess that he makes, right? The Bible is not, is, is not, um, often telling you hag hagiographical stories. You know what hagiography is? Um, hagios in, in Greek is saints or saints, and hagiography would be the study of saints. It's not um, telling you the history of these men who you wonder, gosh, I mean, these guys, do they have any sin in their lives, right? Like you read a lot of Christian biographies of great men in the Christian history. And when you read this biography, you think, man, will any man achieve to this level of godliness? Because this guy seems to never sin. You don't hear his whole story, right? You don't know everything's going on. Most of the Christian biographies we, we read. Uh, the Bible doesn't tend to tell biographical stories that way. It tends to tell the biographical story as this guy was a total train wreck, right? And God was gracious. <laughs> I mean, look at Noah. He's gonna come off the ark after seeing God judge the whole world in a flood, after 600 plus years of walking in godliness, after God has confirmed the covenant with him in a covenant sign, and all is well, and he's gonna get drunk and naked. And you'll be like, oh my gosh. Like, really, right then? This is what it's gonna go down, right? And you just go, okay. This tells, the Bible tells very realistic stories of these men. Um, but the Bible also will recast their stories at times focused upon 
God's grace toward them and God's work in them rather than their sin. So you'll see that in, in Chronicles with David and Solomon to a large degree. You're gonna see that in Hebrews 11 with regard to like righteous lot. You know, and when, you, when, you, when you hear in Hebrews 11 or in, um, I don't know if it's Second Peter, righteous lot, right? Um, you hear that phrase. You guys ever thought about what Lot did? He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was, it was okay because he did the right thing there, but then he made, had children with his two daughters, got drunk and had children with his daughters. Like that's, but then he's called righteous Lot in the New Testament, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so sometimes you're going to get those stories like the, Lord, the, Lord, uh, the Lord's grace. You're going to get the emphasis on his grace in them and not on their sin. Right, so um, you see both. You'll see that in Chronicles. This emphasis really on God's grace here. Um, and yet, in spite of God's kindness to them in kings like David and Solomon, they all still go astray, end up in captivity. <laughs> um, all right, so um, any questions? Chad, yes, sir. When will this go online, uh, this particular lesson? I need to listen further um, I don't know, Clayton? Yeah. We'll see when Matt can get it up. Do we not this whole semester? Oh, okay. <laughs> not tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll try to get him up sooner. I'll ask Matt if he can get him up sooner. Um, all right. So we're going to we're gonna focus in really um, on this history um, of the world beginning with Adam driving us to these two men, the, you know, Abraham and David, and the need for the priest king. You're gonna see that, and then the fall in the, the, of Israel and the leaving them in exile. That's just gonna be our focus. Um, when can we get this up uh, online? Yeah, we'll just ask Matt and see. I didn't know that none of the semesters were even up yet. Um, unfortunately, they're all out of order. A lot of them are out of order on iTunes as well, and I don't know what happened there. But we got, we got hacked really badly a couple years back during COVID because of the number of people that come to our site were a bright spot. Like my sermons on Sundays have 30 to 50,000 hits just from the nation of Germany, just from Germany, for example. So just they get hit all over the place. Usually up to a half million hits every week. So it made us a bright spot. Um, so we got attacked by some Iranian hackers who screwed up everything. So we've been, it's been a slow rebuilding process. <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, that's true, it was down for a while in a total mess. So these things happen. I have no idea who all these people are and why they don't send money, but there they are listening. <laughs> all right, um, yeah. So. Any other questions? Okay, um, let me pray then. And then we'll see you all next week. Black Friday, 6 a.m. What a privilege if you're here, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. 6 a.m. TV? Oh, yeah. Bring, we'll, have, we'll go pre-buy at Walmart flat screen TVs for a cheap price for you to get them here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> let, me, let me pray. Father, we're thankful for the privilege of, of gathering and hearing your word. We are thankful for 
your, the relentless kindness that you've um, shown and, and even the way you've, you've bracketed um, the, the Old Testament with the stories of the genealogies that lead to Abraham and David and point us to the need for um, Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Pray that we would continue to give thanks for him even as we come into the holidays, that we would rejoice in Christ and the fulfillment of your promises that we know, um, the privilege that we have um, to live this side of, of the fulfillment of these promises. Um, the fact that we are, we are in, in many ways, even the least of us, more blessed than John the Baptist. Um, because of the fact that we have seen the fulfillment of the promises of the Christ. May we not forget the privilege that is. Be thankful for it. In Jesus' name, amen.